So great, thank you. It's great to be with you guys. Not been here before, um, but I have met some of you before with joint services and joint meetings and stuff like that. Um, a few smiles, yeah, that's great. And um, yes, so we've got a series called Christ in the Crisis. And the particular crisis we're thinking of is the cost of living crisis that everyone's talking about and you have all experienced. And we've all lived through like 10% inflation um, in the last year and it's going on again for another 6% on top of that, isn't it, for another year or so. And that's like 16% in two years and this is affecting everybody. And of course, it affects the poor the worst or the poor the most because um, it's the cost of food and stuff like that that's really going up and fuel and energy, that's better, thank you, um, and all of that kind of stuff. So we wanted to do a series in both churches on money, and uh, it's, it's my job, I've been asked to talk about biblical generosity today just after the collection, so you're let off the hook on that one, all right, but you're not let off the hook because God's going to speak anyway, all right, so, uh, so let's see what happens, but you know, maybe not today um, in terms of you actually giving. The Bible has got an awful lot to say about money. Did you know that? There's a lot. It's that, if actually, it's one of Jesus' favourite topics to talk about. Money. Did you realise that? Right? So much of his teaching is about money, relates to money, is about finance and giving and, and, and earning money and what you do with your money and all that kind of stuff. Um, because... It's something that affects all of us and impacts all of us. And it's a massive test of your character, how you deal with money. Did you know there's a really sure way that I can find out what matters to you as an individual? Do you know what it is? If I get access to your bank account or your credit card account, whatever, and I find out where your money goes... I will tell an awful lot about what matters to you, right? I will start to understand exactly what you care about, right? I will know exactly how much you care about church, for example. Exactly how much you value food or clothes or holidays or hobbies or whatever other things your money goes on. Or exactly how generous you are or how stingy you are. I'll, know I'll tell an awful lot about your heart if I get to see your money. Anyone volunteering for this? <laughs> A few laughs there. <laughs> yes. Um, and of course, this is what Jesus said, isn't it? Um, where your treasure is, there is your heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Money goes straight to the heart, Right? What you do with money, it tells me a lot about your heart, right? It's between you and God, right? Because I'm not going to look at your bank accounts and bank statements, okay? You're off the hook on that one. But God does look at it, doesn't he? God does see where your money goes and what you do with money. And he knows your heart, and it is a test of your heart, and it reveals what you really care about and so on. Money shows how trustworthy, spiritual, mature, honest, greedy, selfish, generous, or grateful you are. Um, that's a huge test of character. James Moffat said this, a man's treatment of money <coughs> is the most decisive test of his character, how he makes it and how 
he uses it. How is your character, if I was to look at your money, and how you deal with money? What would I see if I looked at that? See, if you're, if you're a trustworthy person, you're going to be trustworthy in money, aren't you? If you're a generous person, but you're not generous with your money, nah, you're not really generous, right? Nobody says he's a really generous person, but he's not generous with his money, right? It, you know, money matters, and money goes straight to your heart. Money tells me a lot about who you are and what you're like and what you value and where your heart is, where your treasure is. There is your heart. And then, of course, there is also this um, famous verse, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. We all have to use money. It's not that money is bad in itself, but it's the way we use money and our attitude to money. That, that's what tests us. That's what really shows us what we're like. That's really what reflects to us who we really are and what we really like. It's the love of money that's a problem. And all sorts of people love money, fall in love money. It is an idol. It's an idol in our society today. It may be an idol in some of our hearts here today in this room. I definitely know people who idolise money. And I've met people who you show them a banknote and they're like, you know, know, captivated by it, which is quite extreme, obviously. Um, But, you know, also very rich people who are very, very, you know, greedy and, and desperate for more and more and more, you know, and people who... I know people who've got like two houses and yachts and they're, like, they're still like, you know, talk about other people as being filthy rich and stuff, you know, because, you know, everyone feels like, you know, I could, I want more, I want more, I want more. And contentment is one of the key character tests in relation to money, isn't it? Are you content with what you actually have and where you actually are? Love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. How much time do you spend thinking about money? That might reveal how much you love money. How much time you spend thinking about money? And what ways do you think about it? Do you think about how much to give? Or are you thinking about how much to get? Or are you thinking about how much to save? Or how much to spend? Which, when you think about money, how much do you think about those different things? And how much time do you spend thinking about each of those different things? Guessing, giving, saving, spending, all of that stuff. Love of money leads to injustice, deceit, pride, envy, greed, covetousness, bribery, stealing, disobedience, anxiety, indulgence, greed. Anyway, a whole load of awful things, doesn't it? So, but we're talking about generosity today. (coughs) Martin Luther said this, there are three conversions necessary for the Christian life. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. That's interesting, isn't it? Right? And do they come in that order, do you think? Right? So first of all, you get your heart converted, then you get your mind around to it, and finally, finally, your purse gets converted. Finally, you get your money comes to God and you start to sacrifice that to God. That comes last, it seems like. Maybe you deliberately put it in that order. Are you converted yet? Are you properly a Christian? Right? You've got all of these areas of your life converted. Would, would Martin Luther say you're converted, right? Is all of your life converted? John Wesley said this, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. What a great motto 
right? In other words, he means work hard to get, you know, there's no harm working hard to get stuff. And then there's no harm saving as well. The Bible's got stuff to talk about saving. That's not our topic today, but we could talk about that as well because there's a lot in the Bible about that as well. And then give all you can as well. He's like, give as much as you can. Just give it away. Do you, know, do you know John Wesley earned a million pounds in today's money in one year um, from all of his um, books. He, made, he wrote a lot of books and tracts and donations that people gave to him. In that year, he gave away 98% of what he earned. And see, he really lived it. He really lived it. Um, in his whole lifetime, he earned about 20 million pounds in today's money. And when he died, he had two silver spoons and a few coins. Everything else had been given away. What a life. And what a life. And of course, what a legacy. And he did all this preaching, all these other things. But he didn't neglect the conversion of his purse as well. Right? He, you know, he gave away so much to so many people. And what an example um, in doing that. And then Paul says in 1 Timothy, command them to be generous and willing to share. Command them to be generous and willing to share. So here's a command to you, right? Be generous, right? You're meant to be generous. God wants you to be generous. And being generous, well, it does relate to time and other things as well, but it also comes to money, doesn't it? At the end of the day, it's got to hit money. It's got to hit your purse as well. So when we're talking about giving and generosity, everyone always says, what about tithing, don't they? Right? Everyone says, oh, what about tithing? Let's think about tithing. Okay. Well, I want to think about tithing as well as we talk about this. And um, when I read the Bible, I find that there are actually three different tithes in the Bible. Did you know that? Um, three different tithes that the Israelites um, had to pay. Um, so let us just look at that. Here's one of them um, in uh, Leviticus um, chapter 27. This is the Levite's tithe. Let's just read what that verse says. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land, all the fruits of the trees, it's the Lord's. That's a tithe of the tenth. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. <clears throat> In other words, if you want to make it into cash, you add another 20% on top. So that would make it 12%, right? That would be a 12% tithe. And then in Numbers 18... It says this, to the Levites, I've given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tenth of the meeting. So this tenth, or, or 12%, 10% or 12%, went to the Levites, who didn't have their own land, didn't have their own land to work and their money from it, so they had to be um, paid or serviced or get an income from the rest of the nation. And so this is kind of like a taxation system where we pay for the Levites, who are the priests who run the state religion. Remember, this is a theocracy here. So the priests run the national religion and they form effectively the judiciary as well and kind of like the NHS as well and kind of like some social services as well. And so this is kind of like a tax to fund the national ministries, the civil service, all of that kind of stuff, which is what the Levites did. Um, so this is one tithe here, uh, the tithe for the Levites. Um, then there's another tithe, which is a festal tithe. Let's read about that in Deuteronomy 14. Let's read it. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain 
and your wine and your oil and the firstborn of your herd and the flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God. So every year they would go up to Jerusalem and have a massive festival and everyone would save 10% of what they earned that year and they'd go up to Jerusalem and have a party to worship God and praise God and enjoy God and absolutely celebrate. What a party. Imagine if we had 10% of our income in a nation praising God. Imagine what an amazing party you get and imagine what an amazing, fantastic praise and worship and witness it would be to the whole nation if we did that. Well, that's what they did in Israel every year, right? So everyone was told, you spend 10% on worshipping God at the festival, a national festival. Some of it might be travel expenses. You know, you're allowed to cash it in and, and do that as well if you wanted to and stuff. And so um, it's a national holiday, basically. A national holiday and festival, worshipping God, praising God and enjoying God and blessing God um, with it. So that's the second tithe. And then there's another tithe that only comes every three years. Let's read about this one. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your product in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion of inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are in your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that he hands you to do. So this tithe goes to the poor and the aliens and the sojourners and the fatherless and the widows and those people who can't earn money for themselves. So, and it's stored up every three years and given to those people and it only happens once every three years, this one. Um, and this is kind of like a social service, social security kind of payment, a social services payment, isn't it? That, that people are expected to give um, additional it would work out at three and a third percent per year, or once every three years, 30%. Um, or if you, again, if you sort of cash in the first time, 25 and a third percent. Anyway, this is kind of like the taxation system that they had. And of course, Christians today, we should pay taxes, right? Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and all of that. Um, so we should pay taxes, and paying tithes is equivalent to that. Um, and um, just to sort of look at some more evidence of that, have anybody read the book of Tobit? Um, Probably not in your Bible, it's in the Apocrypha. Um, the Catholics have it in their Bibles, but it's not inspired, um, so we don't agree it's inspired. But it's useful historical background information. And in Tobit, which you can look up, chapter 1, verse 8, every third year I would give a third, a third tithe to the widows and orphans. So you see, Tobit was saying, this is what we do. We have these three different tithes there. And then Josephus, who's a Jewish historian of the first century, um, he also records, um, just quote what he says here, besides these two tithes, which I've already said, you're to pay every year, the one for the Levites, the other for the festivals, you're also to bring every third year a third tithe to be distributed to those who want, to women also that are widows and to children that are orphans. So do you see the system here, all right, that they have, these tithes, these three different tithes, and it's like a taxation system um, that they had there, and all the Israelites would pay that. It's a theocracy, and this is how the system of government worked um, in Israel's times. And of course, but there's not only tithes, there's also offerings, right? Isn't there? So in case you think you're just getting away with tithing, no, 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 no. You're meant to give offerings as well on top of that, all right? So um, here's Deuteronomy 12, Verse 6, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. 
So do you see, you pay your taxes and you give your offerings as well, right? Your tithes and your offerings here. So it's not just a fixed amount that you get away with thinking, oh, I'm, I'm done with that and therefore I'm sorted out here. Um, or if you look at Malachi um, chapter 3, verse 8, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? Right? In tithes and offerings. So you're meant to give the tithes, but then you also give offerings on top of that. And so that's the system that it was in the Old Testament. And I see tithing as effectively taxation. And then you have offerings on top of that, which is, and today we should pay taxes and then give offerings as well on top of that. That's not to say that it's not worth thinking about a percentage um, as a basis for how much we should give regularly and then perhaps occasionally give some more on top of that or give special things on top of that as well. And 10% isn't a bad guideline uh, for a percentage to think about giving, depending how much money you have. And you know, maybe you have more money, you give more than that, and maybe you have less, you might give less than that. And if you're just starting out learning to give, you might start with 5% or something like that and build up from there and work up to 10% or something like that. The danger with tithing is that people become legalistic about it and feel like I'm doing my bit, I've sorted out my 10%, therefore I'm okay, and they forget about the tithes and offerings, and they become self-righteous about it, and all that kind of thing. And when you get into the New Testament, the only time that tithing is mentioned is when Jesus criticises the Pharisees for being legalistic about it. Right? That's the only time it's ever mentioned in the New Testament, right? which is an indication that it doesn't really apply for Christians in the church today, in the New Testament. All right? So... It's giving that we need to do, and we need to be generous about it, and we need to give our offerings and think about how much you give and what percentage you should give, depending who you are. And I'm not going to be legalistic and tell you what you should give. You need to decide. It's your heart. It's between you and God. God sees your bank account. I don't. And, uh, and God knows how much you give and what you should give too. So I wanted to talk then about some principles for giving having moved on from tithing, uh, that um, I think are relevant and important and helpful for us um, in the church today. And, and look at some different passages on this for the rest of the time um, that we've got. Um, so here's one. Giving is investing in God, isn't it? Giving is investing in God. And what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 6? Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we put into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus is saying there, if you give, you're investing, and it will come back to you. If you're generous, people will be generous back to you, and God will be generous back to you. It's kind of a principle. You invest, you give, you give and you find that people give back, or you find that you get more money because you're giving more, and this is not a health and wealth and prosperity gospel by any means. It's not to say if you give lots, you'll never land into misfortune or get sick or anything like that. No, but there is a principle that you're investing in God's kingdom, and God blesses people who give. And people who give get blessed generally and do well out of it. And yeah, it's like a general sort of principle. If I'm, if I'm encouraging pe people, I'm always encouraging people, I find people encourage me back. You know, it's that kind of thing. You, there's a reciprocity that happens. And we're investing in the kingdom. And, what, and that's kind of an internal investment as well, isn't it? You know, we, you know, we're storing up treasure in heaven. What did Jesus say? 
treasure on earth that's going to get eaten up by moths and rust or whatever else it is. Treasure in heaven, that's what I'm working on. I'm saving up for treasure in heaven. I'm working for that. And you get that by giving into God's kingdom today and you'll get a massive return on that because that's eternal. That's going to last forever. Whereas whatever I have now here today is not going to last very long. So there's the first one, that investing in God. Giving is an, giving is an investment Perhaps the best investment because it has eternal dividends on it. Here's the second one. You decide. You decide. No one else can decide for you. Here's what Paul says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now notice that he's kind of repeating Jesus' principle here, sowing sparingly, you reap sparingly, sowing bountifully, you reap bountifully. And then he says, you've got to give what you decide in your heart to give. Nobody can tell you how much you should give. You decide it yourself between you and God in your heart. It's up to you, right? It's between you and God. You've got to decide it. It's too easy for me to say, you give 10%. No, 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 no. You've got to decide in your heart what you give. It's up to you. And it's not reluctantly, so that's a heart issue as well, isn't it? Well, I suppose I better give some money to this God. No, it's got to be not like that, right? It's not under compulsion, right? You mustn't give because you feel pressured to give. I heard about a church the other day that locked people into the building and said, nobody's leaving until you've all signed a standing order form. Crikey, that's bad. Um, a lot of people left the church after that. Quite right. Quite right, too. Um, it shouldn't be under compulsion, right? You shouldn't give under compulsion when you feel pressured. That's not the time to give. Go away and think about it and pray about it rather than give when you're feeling pressured about it, when you're feeling under compulsion to do it. No doubt God will convict you sometimes you need to give. I was in a meeting this year um, and somebody talked about their vision for setting up a Christian school because many people are thinking about setting up Christian schools because of all the sexualization of children and teaching young children in one body and all this kind of nonsense stuff. Um, and I thought, I need to give to that. And I, I sort of made a commitment to God, OK, I need to give some money to this. And sometime later, I gave them some money. Um, and God convicted me to do that. But you see, it's not under compulsion. You decide, it's up to you, and then do it cheerfully, the opposite of reluctance, right? What a great thing to be able to give. What a privilege to be able to give. What a delight to be able to give to God's kingdom and God's work and God's things and serve a vision and serve other people and, and see people being able to serve God and do what God wants and see God's kingdom established and, and growing. Uh, that's why we give and we do it cheerfully when we give. God loves a cheerful giver. How are you doing? Are you a cheerful giver? How are you doing on that one? Okay, here's another one. Give sacrificially. You probably know this story about the widow who gave into the treasury. Let's read it, Jesus said, as he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. 
What mattered there? It was the sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that she was making. It's too easy to give out of your abundance. That's the point that Jesus is making. It's too easy to give out of spare money, if you've got spare money. It's too easy to give out of that, isn't it? Giving really counts when it costs you, doesn't it? Giving really counts when it is sacrificial, when it's make a difference to you, because you know you're giving up something. And you know you're, you're, doing, you're giving money that you could have spent on something else, or you could have done something else with it. Is your giving sacrificial? That's the point here. Is your giving sacrificial? It's no good comparing somebody else giving a lot more than me. The question is, is it sacrificial? Biblical giving is sacrificial because Jesus sacrificed um, for us. Here's another one. Beware of wishful thinking. How easy is it to think, if I had a million pounds, you know, I'd give so much away, right? If I had a billion pounds, wow, I'd be so generous, you know? The question is not how much you'd give away if you had a lot of money. The question is how much are you giving what you have now? That's the question, isn't it, right? Here's what um, Jesus said. One who is fruitful in a very little is also fruitful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful with their unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you've not been faithful with that and others, who will give you what is your own? In other words, the test is, are you faithful with the small amount that you have now? Are you faithful with that? Right? Are you, how are you doing in giving out of what you have now Forget what other people have. Forget what you might do if you had a billion, million pounds, whatever. How are you doing with that? I met somebody the other week who, a couple, a Christian couple, who run a business. They've given away eight million pounds the last five years to Christian organisations. What an amazing privilege. What an amazing thing they've done. They've kept organisations, big Christian ministries, they've kept them afloat when they could have gone bust through COVID and things like that. You know, what an amazing thing they've done. And I can think, oh, if I was rich like that, I would do that. But... That's not the question. The question is, how much are we giving with what I have now? Right? How faithful? And Jesus is saying, if you're faithful with little, then you'll be trusted with much. Right? So are you faithful with the little that you have? How are you doing giving with the little that you have now? And then, you know, then you can think about what you might do with something else. And Jesus, Jesus will trust people who are faithful with little. He'll trust them with bigger things. The test is being faithful with a little, and then he'll trust you with bigger things after that. Here's another principle. Give regularly. Paul wrote to the Corinthians um, and said, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you has put something aside, store it up, as he may prosper, so there will be no collecting when I come. So saying, every week, set aside money for the collection. Set aside money for the offering every week. Um, I think this really means kind of like when they're paid or when they work out how much they've, money they've got at the week. Uh, the first thing they do is set aside money to go to the offering. Obviously, a lot of us these days are paid monthly, so then do it monthly. Um, the point is to do it regularly, isn't it? And the point as well is, that's emphasised in tithing as well, is that first of all, you think, how much should I give? Right? Your, your money comes in, it was payday on Friday. Um, first of all, how much are you going to give? 
then think about the other things, right? That's the first question. How much are you giving? I got some money last year when my wife died. The first question I was asking was, okay, who am I going to give to and what am I going to give and how much am I going to give to with some of this money? That's the first question to ask, right, to give. And then you can think about what else to do maybe with some of that money. Um, but giving regularly, like as regularly as you get paid, this is the principle that we're talking about here. Um, and then, of course, support for your local church. There's a number of passages that relate to this, but here's one in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages. So you should give to your local church, and in fact, I think for most Christians, that should be the dominant thing that they give to. Um, you're a member of a local church, a member of a local community, and the principle here is the church should support their workers. They should give to their workers and make sure they're properly funded, and we can have a conversation about what that means in today's world and what salary might be comparable to and all that kind of thing. But, yeah, churches need to honour their workers and make sure they're able to live well and comfortably and not having to worry about money and all that kind of thing. And if you've got a church of people, even a church this size, people who are giving generously, they should be able to support somebody um, to work and enable them to work well and serve well in that kind of thing. So this is, a, this is kind of like a command that we ought to fund and support and enable Christian workers and workers in our churches to work. And so the primary thing I think that all Christians should give to um, is their church. Um, but then there are other things as well. Um, it does talk about um, Paul thanks the churches for supporting him. He's not their church leader, he's a missionary. Um, and he says, I've received full, full payment and more I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul's thanking them for their support of him as he goes off um, planting other churches in other places, doing effectively mission work there. And uh, there's, that's beyond the local church, isn't it? That's supporting other ministries and other things. And no doubt God will stir you um, in your heart. You, know, you will have things that you're passionate about. Um, might relate to particular countries, might relate to particular missions, might relate to particular Christian ministries of different kinds. I talked about school earlier, for example. That's something that's on my heart. Um, and uh, things that you should be giving to because God's given you that passion and that heart for it and that you will want to support, I want to get involved with, I want to be engaged with, I want to um, sow into the kingdom in that way. So beyond your church, you should be thinking about some other areas as well and other things that you should give to and projects or organisations that um, you will support. Um, and finally, giving is a ministry. It's interesting, in Romans 12, he talks about people with all these different gifts. Let's just read it. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads the zeal, and the one who acts of mercy, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So you notice there's various gifts, and sometimes in our church I think we might recognise things like prophecy and teaching and leading and stuff. They're, they're gifts we sort of recognise and 
pray over them and anoint people to do that. Where, when are we praying over the people who are giving? When are we praying over the people who've got the gift of generosity and the gift of giving? When are we uh, recognising that as a ministry? Because it is recognised just as much here in this passage, isn't it? Right? There's a ministry of giving. Who's called to that here in this church? I won't ask you to, don't, don't need to answer that. Okay? But there will be people who are called to that. Um, and maybe you're called to that. But it's a ministry that we should all be engaged in and recognise and thank God for and, and, uh, and see it as a ministry, not, not as a chore, not as something oh, we've got to give, but as a ministry, as a gift that God gives people. So um, I'm going to quickly flick through. There we are, our eight principles um, for giving. So I'm going to finish with one more verse um, from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, and um, by the way, if you want to read two chapters entirely about giving, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, um, not got time now to read more of it, but I could do. See to it that you excel in this grace of giving. How are you doing in that? Excelling in this grace of giving. Are you excelling in giving? If God looked at your heart, your bank account, your money, would he say, yeah, you're excelling in giving. You're good at this, right? If not, let's see to it. Yeah, let's see to it. Let's go away and think about it. Can we stand up and I'll pray? I just want to give you a few minutes to, um, between you and God, think about what might have struck you or might have touched your nerve with you or might have resonated with you out of what I've said today and maybe something you need to do or resolve with God to do as a result of what I've said today. I'll give you a minute to do that. And Father, you see our hearts. Our hearts are laid bare before you and you know each person here, you know how we are with money, you know that Honey, money is such a test of our character and it shows who we are. Lord, we ask you to come and convict us. Convict us, Lord, and touch us, Lord, and let us be the generous people that you want us to be, the gods. Turn us into generous people. Get rid of selfishness, get rid of greed, get rid of covetousness, get rid of all these other things that get in the way, Lord. And just help us be generous people who long to invest and sow in your kingdom, who want to give, who want to be given cheerfully and in delight in the ministry of giving. Just touch us. I pray you'd convict us. I thank you that no one can tell us how much to give, but you can. And you can touch us and you can show us. And I pray that for each person here, you would show us what we need to do to give, to be generous, to be excellent in giving, excellent in being generous. Let's be a generous people for you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen.